Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, it's a, an interview I've wanted to do for quite some time, and finally we've got it together. Here with Steve Diamond. How are you, Steve? Very good, thanks, John. Uh, what have you been up to this morning? Uh, this morning we are, we've got an injured player who we need to get a scan for, so we've been looking at when we get him scanned, um, and generally just some uh, organisation of the week really, pick the team, we picked the team this morning, um, bit of debate there on one or two positions, um, and then we've agreed the, the, the training week. What's your major contention for weeks like this? Is it things like... Um, putting up the stronger side are you looking to get some new players in no we, we because we didn't uh, get what we needed out of the Connacht game and the Bordeaux game at home we need to win mm. we need to win with five points for mm. to guarantee our push the, the home quarter final so no it's everybody who is fit and available will be uh, will be playing mm. now you've, you're obviously incredibly closely associated with Sale I think people forget there's actually a story before that. So, are you from a rugby playing family? No. So, do you remember the first time that you picked up a ball? Yeah. Metrovic Rugby Club, Trafford MV. And what was your journey then from Trafford MV into the ranks of the professionals? Simple as everybody's was in the day. You played for a junior club. If you were good enough to sail, then contacted you and you were good enough to get through the trials you played for them. So, that was the route really. Did you play much senior stuff for Trafford, or did you go straight yeah, into? Yeah, I played uh, three years yeah, in the first team. From Sale, then you then started with your coaching uh, roles. What was your first coaching job? First coaching job was Macclesfield in two thousand, um, and then so I started there in the August, having finished playing, and then in the January. February, Brian Kennedy rung me and asked me to come back to Sale to coach the forwards. And then I, I stayed for three, four years and then left and went to Saracens. Uh, what was your experience like with Russia? With Russia, very good. Good set of lads. Uh, a good budget to work with so I could take them out of Russia in the w- winter months so they could play rugby in the Southern Hemisphere. So we did that for three years. Um, and yeah, good set of lads. Ambitious. Uh, and a, a good rugby pedigree um, in, in 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 history. Do you still keep tabs on the on Eastern European European rugby? Yeah, obviously the lads joined us this week. Uh, Valery Mozarov. Oh, of course. Is, so he's joined this week. So we we have uh, extensive links out into uh, Eastern Eastern 
bloc countries, Georgia, Russia, Romania. We've got um, Alexander Taras here from Romania. So, yeah, we, we'll always have a look there. We always find decent players there. Mm. Is there anything about the attitude of those players which attra- attracts you to them? No, not really. We're just generally the type forwards, I think. Um, and, you know, they come from a hard-working environment and background, and that's the prerequisite of what we want from them. Mm. So, and generally the big. Your current role, you're obviously the DOR, but everyone does the, the DOR role a bit differently. In fact, I don't think there's one model of what a DOR is. So can you just give us a little bit of detail about you know, what, um, what you do here and how it might differ from other clubs? Well, I don't know what other clubs do, if I'm perfectly honest. I know what I do, and I head up the rugby, I head up the coaching, I do the recruitment, I assist Mark Quato on the commercial side, and um, head up the business for Jed and Simon. You have devolved quite a lot of the coaching, though. Well, we've always had those coaches, just different personnel. Uh, Deeks has been with us four years, Mike Forsh has been with us five years, Westy's just joined us. Pete Anglis has been here, man and boy. Uh, Briggs is coming through. So yeah, we have we have coaches in those areas, and we I sort of tie it up and bring it together, and then we um, we put it to the players, and and they go out and hopefully play to what we're trying to say. What do you find is the biggest challenge being a DOR? Well, there's many challenges. The competition's very strong in the Premiership, and. We, up, up until next year, we operate on a lesser budget than everybody else and always have done. Um, so that's a challenge in itself. The best coaches generally, I think, are the ones who have most money to spend um, for success and achieving things. So there's that challenge, the challenge of everyday rugby life with the, uh, the injuries that we incur and how we get through those injuries and how we look after people and there's a whole well-being scenario in the club that we have to... Uh, adhere to and we promote so the, 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 there's lots of challenges but effectively it's getting 23 fit men out every week What do you mean by, by well-being there? Well-being is how we look after them the amount of time they spend in the building or on the training field the amount of recovery they get it changes from week to week whenever we've played and the intensity of which game we've played And you know, we, we it's common knowledge that we run at 50-60% injuries of the rest of the other clubs because the way we look after players, and that, that means if we don't need to train, we won't train. I mean, that's an incredible statistic, and I think one which hardly anyone in the mainstream media has bothered picking up on. If we, if we were a top four side and we let them figures out, we'd be known as we'd be superstars. People would say, if it was Saracens who had statistics like that, or if it was uh, a Bath who had st- statistics like that, then uh, people would be saying they're doing a revolutionary thing the way they look after the players, but... Um, I, I keep things close to our chest. I don't think that information should always be in the public domain. Mm. I don't think uh, it's it's healthy. I think we uh, we everybody takes injuries. It's just how you rehab them and how you prehab them. And I think we do it differently to others. And I'm not prepared to share that with anybody. Really, I completely uh, agree. How they do their things is up to them. And 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 there have been far more successful teams than us who do it their own way. We you know we operate on a 32 man squad, not a 50 man squad like the rest of them. I mean, there were some things he said in the uh, press conference after um, after the Saracens regarding you know the amount of time that the players are in training. And part of me felt like it was almost like your hand had been forced to say these things because, of course, you know you've got to defend things like player welfare. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, and I don't need to defend the player welfare situations. I 
there, there was obviously some stuff wrote which was inaccurate in every sense and at the time I thought it wasn't right to publicly challenge it I thought let sleeping dogs lie we know what we do we have very few complaints we've got uh, marquee signings are signing for three and four and five year contracts um, and and I don't need to justify it to one or two people who think they know how we do things however I am reluctant to say because yeah. people want to know whether it's the league whether it's the union whether it's other clubs how do we hit these numbers well it's the way we do things and you know I will impart that information with some people but generally I just think it's a little unique um, the way we do things in here is different to other clubs and it and, it, and a lot of it is, is not rocket science it's giving them time off uh, why do you think those things aren't reported and the image of the club is in some people's minds as it is well it's I don't th- I think it is from one or two we've had one player leave who has been critical on Twitter and himself was inaccurate in what he said on Twitter but again I don't want to go down that route anymore yeah. we've had one journalist who who was was beating the drum for some unknown reason with, with the inaccuracies why, why why would he not being a professional journalist ring me and come to a day like today where you are and ask these questions so I don't understand it but he, t- he, 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 he wanted to make that up for me we have no care issues in the building and I can't remember if we ever have had. We look after the players um, to the best of our abilities within all the protocols of whether it's World Rugby, RFU, Premiership. And we've got to remember this, that it isn't like a normal business sometimes. If you don't get picked in the team, you don't like the coach. Mm. And if you don't get a contract renewal, then you, you really don't like the coach because you've got to do, do something else. And if you're not good enough to get picked in the team, and if you're not good enough to get a contract renewal, and you're not good enough to stay at this level, then common sense tells you you have to step down a level and get on with your life. And maybe that doesn't enable you to play the game professionally and, and provide for your family at that level. So you get another job, like everybody else does and did. So I just think there's a, you know, there's a, the, the, where, again, when I say things old school, for example, old school means doing the things the right way. Whether you turn up on time, whether your responsibility on the field, whether it's discipline-wise or understanding the game plan, you've got to be able to do that. And that's been the same as ever I played rugby at Metrovic 30 years ago. It's not changed. Do you think that there is a slight problem with players? Because I mean, what you said then was um, if you're not good enough, you can't stay at this level. Do you think that there is a problem? You get these lads in the academy, put the club badge on their chest, and then when they can't quite get, when you went on down from 150 down to that 30 squad, mm. it is difficult to transition them back into yeah, normal life. It is, and that's the job that all sport has, is getting a kid who's played against age groups all the way through ready for adult sport, particularly rugby, because it's so physical. Mm. And you see many 16-year-olds playing professional football, but... It doesn't happen in rugby because the bodies aren't, the maturation hasn't arrived and they can't recover. So our job with our young lads, for example, is is, is Cameron Redpath's a good example. He's had a nasty injury, he's coming back and I sit him on the bench and get him used to the environment and then I'll give him some minutes. But it's only at the right time and the skill of coaching is different to the skill of running a team. Coaching is about what you do, how you do it in these positions on the field or these these scenarios on the field. 
managing the team of knowing when to use your bench, for example, or knowing when to put a young kid in for experience is a different level. You only get them with experience, and I've got a lot of experience there. Ross Harrison, for example, played his 200th game last week at 26 years of age. Um, but Ross Harrison spent two years behind Fridge on the bench and played 10, 15 minutes every week. Then he spent a year at Tighthead playing. And now he hits his 200th game and he's a first on the list every week. And that's because we've managed him well. We'll manage Tom and Ben Curry the same way. Yeah. Many people were... The lads who've been managed play numbers of games. <coughs> Mark Cueto from the generation before played 300-odd games for sale because he was managed well. I played 300-odd games for sale because I was managed well. The skill of running a team is managing your resource. And managing your resource means getting them up for it on a weekend. <laughs> and getting them up for it on a weekend is a lot easier when they're fresh, not when they're blowing. I mean, there's obviously two parts to this, isn't there? It's the managing of the players when they come into the senior squad. The other part of it, of course, is developing the players. Can, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the work of the, the academy? Yeah, well, the, the academy has got coaches like Warren Sprague, headed up by Brendan, uh, Briggsy, and then 30 or 40 volunteer coaches who work through the pathway, who all promote the way we do things around here. When I say that, I mean, this is our coaching philosophy, this is why we want to play, and that transcends and cascades through to those pathways. So hopefully when the Red Paths or the... Tom Curtis, who's a new signing, comes through. He understands what the players are in his first pre-season. He's not having to go through a playbook and learn everything from scratch. He's, he's had some resemblance of knowledge three years previously playing at under-16 level, under-17 What you referred to then, is that is it DPD, you call it? Sorry, DPP. DPP, sorry. Development Player Pathway, yeah. Yeah, and that, that is gen- genuinely happening here most, uh, most Fridays. I certainly know that our club from... Monday, Lindsay's Wednesday, Friday. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah, and with our investment with the RFU in a new 4G pitch, then that'll be probably every night over the, from starting next season. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the lifeblood of the club, 60% of the squad come from the northwest, and, and we, we intend to attempt to up that to 70% over the next two, three years. Because you've had a small squad in the past, because uh, budgets haven't been as generous as maybe they are now, how did you go about getting value out of your new signings? They, well, they know when they come they've got to be playing 75% of the games. Yeah. That's a prerequisite for coming here. If you're going to come and you're highly paid, you've got to be playing 16 of the league games and six games in Europe for us. I guess you can link that into, I mean, you know, like the lack of contact sessions that you do here. Yeah, although we do contact every day. Yeah. When we're here, we're not here for long, but we actually... There'll be a defence session this afternoon. It will have three elements of contact in it. And some of that element will be full on, but only for two or three minutes. The reason we don't get... Part of the reason we don't get catastrophic injuries in this place is we, we're case-hardened in training. So when it comes to game scenario, they used to get in hit in yeah. the week, but only for short periods of time. I can't remember... I can remember... The last time there was a serious injury at training, which resulted in a player not playing for more than one week, wow. which was in 2012. That's incredible. It was Joe Ward, a hooker. That's how I know I'm accurate on that, because I know that was the last time it was done. We may have the odd thigh strain in the gym or a hamstring, but it will not, it will not hinder that person's playing ability 
for more than one week. So, that, I mean, that 75% number, do, do you see that as an attraction for players coming in? or, or you know? Well, it's the only way to do it. The only way to do it is, is 75% are local. Number one, you get them for good value mm-hmm. when they're developing. When they get to the 21, 22, 23, you're paying them as much as anybody else around the world. But people have a, when you come from the, the area, then you have a little bit more feeling for the club. Mm. And the, the other people, the John Rosses, the Fafty Clerks, the, uh, uh, all these other lads who've come in, that, that you have to coach that into them. And, you know, they've all taken that and, and carried the flag for us. But there's nothing better than a local lad, I don't think. Do you think now that um, you've got a bit more money to spend, uh, the techniques that, you've, that you use in order to assemble a competitive squad throughout a few years... Do you think that you're going to have to change them? Because you know, you're no longer dealing with guys that you're getting from the Championship or local lads. You've got yeah. you know, the finished article now. Well, what we will still be doing is doing that, though. What we have the ability to do is, is go for world-class players. Mm. And we'll do that when we can get hold of them and they're available. But if they're not available, what I'm not going to do is jump in and bring somebody on a one-year contract to see us through, which I used to have to do. Yeah. What I will do is I'll promote somebody out of the academy. Mm. And a great example at the minute is Matt Postlethwaite. Matt Postlethwaite is playing well every week for Sale FC in, in, in level three. There may be an opportunity over the next six, seven months for Matt Postlethwaite to come out of Sale FC and play for Sale Sharks if we think he's right. If not, we'll wait for the summer, then we'll have a look at him next year. But there are, we've got people who are nearly there. Mm. But nearly there is what the team's been like for the last five, six years you know yeah. we, be, we have three cracking results over the new year and Christmas and yet we struggled to win in Connaught when no disrespect to Connaught we were the better side so we, we, we've got to get our consistency right and that consistency comes from or helps come from you know we, we parachuted Rob Dupree and he was a revelation for us and we then we don't have Rob for the rest of this season, but Kieran Wilkinson, who's an 18-year-old lad, he's got a big job in his hands. He's yeah. parachuted in from Sale FC, not from an international setup. So there's different challenges, and the challenges for the squad and the coaches and me is making sure that a lad like Kieran doesn't get overawed with the situation. Mm. We don't let him. We don't. He doesn't need to goal kick. He doesn't need to kick for touch. Sam James and Faf will do that. But he's got to know the place. He's got to execute the place. And if he can do that, he's as good as anybody in the competition. Brilliant. So that, that that's how they get their opportunity. You know, we've also got Cam Redpath on the bench. And I'm itching to get give Cam a go, but I say he's just come back from serious injury, get his environment, get his head round it. He's a big physical kid. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him some opportunity. And I guess that that, that that is the difference now. You are bringing in kids because you want to, rather than you are compelled to do so. Or yeah, yeah. But but I also think that our recruitment for next season is based upon what we've got coming through. So you know we will be bringing no backs in, not one. It's all forward, all front five. Um, because if Rowan van Rensburg is unavailable, he'll be fit next week. If Rowan becomes unavailable and O'Connor comes available, then Cam Redpath straight goes straight into the spot. Yeah, um, and that's the way it has to be, and that's the, that's the way that it keeps the uh, senior guys healthy. And when Cam gets an opportunity or Wilco gets an opportunity, then the 
they have to make it difficult for me to drop them. Uh, when I sat here previously, you told me something very interesting about how you develop props, and basically, it's more about the it's more about the body shape than the previous experience. Would you mind sharing that again? Yeah, the scrimmaging is the first and foremost, and getting their structure right is really important, and that's what the Dorian West now does with the conditioners and the physios. So there's a lot of time spent in the gym getting their strength and their body position right. Um, I mean, nothing can replicate it in a scrum, um, but it, it, it's about the whole holistic approach, not just the getting on a scrum machine at 60 scrums like that what we used to do in the old days <laughs> that was never the correct thing to do but that was the way we were coached and when I started coaching I said to myself I'm never going to do that to people it doesn't work, you don't get the best out of them the best out of them is showing them how they become better by getting physically stronger more dynamic more powerful and then put them in the scrum environment and, and, and it's worked well with Wilgriff John it's worked well with Ross it's worked really well with Vadim Kovilas and, and a bit of old-fashioned Rob Webber size. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh, does help. If you've got yes. a built like him, then I'd say if I was a prop, I'd want to play with a hooker like him than a hooker like me. Because first and foremost, their job is to scrub. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work that's on behind the scenes, but again, again, it, uh, I'm not frightened of, of repetition. Mm. And we don't have to bring in 101 new drills every week, which we don't do here. If we can, um, if we can get things right, then we keep working on those things and the very simple basics of what we do. Can I mention Rob Webber? Um, do you think he's one of the guys that sets the tone for how sale play? Very much so, yeah. Great ball carrier, good chucker, good player. Very good player. Probably, probably, the way England selection goes, they'll never consider him, but I think he's one of the best hookers in the competition. And in a World Cup year, why they wouldn't look at him, I don't know. But, hey, that's, that's not my job to decide that. So if I was a young prop coming to you, Steve, what advice would you give me? Well, the first advice I'd give is you need to play. And our young props... Um, Popey, um, for example, plays for Sale FC and they've got to play against men week in, week out. And, and the, uh, Ross Harrison's a great example. He's now 26 and he's at his tooth game. He's had a very long apprenticeship from 17, 18. And, and there's some positions where you don't make it when you're 20, 21. And Prop's definitely one of them. Unless, unless the odd freak comes around like an Ellis Genge. Yes. You know, but, but they're few and far between. 
it is amazing because the sales scrum statistics are up there with the best in the competition and have been for, for some years. But I bet if you looked at the payroll, it probably wouldn't uh, look like, say, Saracens or, or Leicester. No, it probably, if you were a businessman, it would look a lot healthier, our payroll, for, <laughs> for minutes played and, and, and pounds paid out. But, again, you know, I also think that our lads play a lot of minutes. Hmm. Harrison and uh, Wilgriff John, for example, and Weber play a lot of minutes. And that ain't going to change just yet because... I've got to be massively confident that these lads have proven for years now that they can play many minutes. It's not a one-off. So unless I, I have players here who can step that environment up when they come on, or with 20 points in front, then I'll, I, I'm not going to give caps away. Yeah. I ain't going to work like that. You've got to earn it. Yeah, and, and if I recruit, or if these lads do get an opportunity, which they will do over Europe and over the Premiership Cup, then, then that's a great position for us to be in. And if they don't, then, you know, the, the speculation of players that we are signing, well, if we can, if that speculation to come to reality, then we've got a situation where people like Ross Wilgriff, John and Weber won't be asked to play 80 minutes a game, but that can only be better for the whole team environment if we've got three equal players coming in with, with, with their playing 20, 30 minutes. It, it will make us a better team because where sales does struggle sometimes and at the latter end of the seasons with the small squad is, is, is in, at, the, at the tail end of games and at the tail end of the season you know so for us to get stronger there we, it, it, it's, the business end is from January in mm. as the league has demonstrated everybody knocks each other about in the first 10-11 games but you can see a distinct difference now in the, in the team you've got the top two ahead of everybody else and then you've got the rest you really enjoy the business side, don't you, Steve? I, it's natural to me. It's what I do well. I understand the values of things. I I understand player value. I understand the agents. Uh, they're a necessary evil. <laughs> um, but I also... Uh, we, we won't get messed around by people. If people want, the, the, uh, a player has to show desire to join us and always has had. Even when we have no money, you want them to come. And Sometimes not the best player, but always good for us. What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing rugby? Earning a fortune. <laughs> doing what? Don't know, but I'd be earning a lot more money than I earn now. I do sort of think you're one of the few direct directors of rugby who probably doesn't need the sports. I think a lot of others are rugby through and through. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I'd like to think that, that would be the case, but I've only ever dipped out of rugby for a year, and that's when I got sacked at Saracens and I had a year <laughs> out, and then went went back into Northampton doing the recruiting and then to Russia and then back here mm. so I think it's easier said if you what's the saying you get a job when you've got a job Yeah. if, if you've not got a job you'll take anything mm. whereas what did you do for a year because I, I, I was aware of that built a house really mm. <laughs> bearing in mind what you just said then what is it about sale that keeps you I mean you're not just the coach you're part owner there must be something which you really like about this club well we were born here weren't we we live two miles away three miles away and Sale has the opportunity with the right financial backing to have to give Manchester two massive football teams, an unbelievable cricket venue, oh, yeah. and a uh, professional rugby team. Plus, you know, Greater Manchester has Wigan. Uh, we've got some great sporting teams, and and it's 150 odd years old. Well, why should we not shout from the rooftops? That's what we're about. 
What's your relationship like with the other uh, sports teams in the area? Obviously, you've got a relationship with the Rugby League. Um, Alex Ferguson's been here to talk, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. No, our relationship with, with Man City is particularly good. Um, with Berry next door is pretty good. Um, but everybody keeps themselves to themselves, really. You know, you. Uh, I think everybody looks out for each other, but the soccer teams are a different level, aren't they? You know, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're a different stratosphere to us. What, what we have is what they can't have. We have 60% of the players come from the region and, and, and that counts for a lot and that's the way it should always be, I think, and always has been. Do you think you can learn much from what the football team, what the football teams are on here up to? Yeah, football teams have been professional since the word, since the go, get-go. So the way they deal, the, the facilities, the way they look after players, you know, footballers, footballers play probably twice as many games as rugby players and I know there's not, not as much physical element but the way they recover from Tuesday night games to Saturday games is the way we run our teams here and I learned that off Man City that you know you, you don't have to be you've got to keep the basics going but you know you can, you, you've can you got to play mm-hmm. and, and, and you can't train the day after a game in rugby you can't train for 48 hours really get any, anything out of them so you've only got a small window after the game so let's say after the game, 48 hours, you can't do much. Bit of review. And then 48 hours before the game, you can't do much. It's a two, three-day window. And you don't really want to train three days on the trot, so you train two days. That, once people understand that, and, and if anybody comes in the building and by nine o'clock in the morning hasn't filled in on their Mac or their tablet their well-being scores then they, they get a bollocking so we need to know how they feel yeah and then over not over a week but over we've been doing it for seven eight years over seven eight years we know who's coming in and how they feel which then gives us an indication of rob weber is a good example rob weber his well-being results last week were poor i.e out of 10 how do you feel getting up this morning three how's your are your legs tired? Three. So therefore, we drop him out of training. He comes in work and says, I've got a flu. So, so we, we know before he knows what's wrong oh, right. by his score levels. Now, lots of people do that, but we, are, we, are, we take particular interest in it. And that governs, as well as other things, how we train and what we do. So for example, the mileage they run on the weekend, the kilometres they run in the weekend on the GPS, is important but it's not that important yeah but in isolation it's not important put it all together with the well-beings with what we need to get done with the amount of time we've got between games then that then becomes my job really this is what we say we're going to do then and who filter into that the conditioners the physios the doctor the coaching staff everybody has a say but ultimately you know the 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 dog only has one head, as they say. Yeah. And our selection is done as a democracy. We all write our team down on a Tuesday morning, and we might have one or two contentious uh, positions, but that doesn't happen often. That must take quite a lot of trust to run that system. I often don't feel great when I get out of bed. I think I'd often put a three or two. Yeah, or... But, yeah but you you work them out. You work them out, and that's why it takes you years to get it right. And this is why I now say what our injury levels are like because you can work a individual out over three four months if yeah. he's saying he's not well or his well-being is low every day then we have him in 
he's doing something wrong, he's not eating right, he's sleeping not enough. He's out too late the night before because common sense tells us that if you're 25 and you're getting enough kip and you're eating the right things and you're training, you should be all right. I can only imagine that you know, you've got to have a certain amount of forcefulness, to put it another way. I can't think of a better word, actually, because you've got young men here, 25, with, with quite a lot of money, particularly compared to their peers. Yeah, uh, yeah. to be honest, I think we're still in that fantastic position where money hasn't ruined the game. Mm. I think we haven't got any big shots. If they are, they're knocked down in the changing room by their peers. But equally, we have a broad spectrum. We have lads who, who just about earn the living wage yeah. in their apprenticeships. And once they make it, then fine. If they don't make it, then we assist them in their way of life, whether they want to go to uh, further education or whether or not they want to go into a career which we assist them with. So it, it, it's an unbelievably fantastic opportunity. It's not professional football money, but you know there's no other sport in the world like that. Yeah. What it does give you is an opportunity to train like uh, a demon in the gym, stay fit and... Look good. Not really work for a living. Yeah. Um, you've said it's taken you a long time to get to this point where you can work players out. Just looking back at you know all of your time coaching, what mistakes have you made? What would you what, what would you've done differently? Oh, well, lots of mistakes. Make them every week, I think. But um, in the early days at Saracens, I didn't manage up very well. Um, the way that that club needed changing needed it instantly and, and the powers that be didn't want to make that that change happen that quickly and I was impatient and wanted change so consequently you do you don't get it right and, and your your decision making gets impaired um, but really the mistakes are a few and far between if you, if you don't put somebody on or you bring somebody off on, a, on bringing it down to game time then yeah, but what you do there, you rely on your coaching staff, you rely on your physios talking on the pitch. You know, the players are honest. If you've got good players who are honest and think of the team, then they're going to say, I'm cramping up. Mm. If someone's cramping up, you've got to get them off. Yeah. If it's a close game, if somebody goes round him, he's going to, he could pull hamstring or something. If it's, a, if it's a game where you're 20 points in front, which doesn't happen often in the Premiership, and you get him off anyhow. So, so you've got to listen to the players. And, and that's why, that's what disappointed me most about what was wrote. Nobody know, nobody, he didn't know what the players were, were thinking and how they were thinking. And Faf made a great statement at a press day a couple of weeks ago and Josh Beaumont and said, and uh, Chris Ashton, we wouldn't have signed for you deals if we didn't like it. Hmm. Well, and, and they're internationals who come from Fantastic organisations. Yeah, would and I've said this on uh, in, in public before. Josh Beaumont's dad, Bill, is the head of World Rugby, whose number one gambit at the minute is making sure player safety is at the head of the game. Would uh, would would he allow his son to stay in an environment where where that wasn't the priority? Our priority is this: to be a winning, successful team. But looking after the well-being of the players right yeah. the way through that process because without them we ain't ever going to achieve the first thing Does anything worry you about the future of rugby? Yes, I think we're, we could be at a a, um, a turning point 
and and I, and um, I think the the um, the issue with these lads, you know, players who have died in France, mm. is is an issue. But I also think that I think in industry in France, more people more people die in industry than any other country in Europe. Is that right? Um, so it, it it's a difficult one because nobody wants anything any tragedies in rugby or any sport. But what how do you know to the sport? Yeah. How do you sport to, to have not the sport we've got? You can't take it down to twelve men. We've already got a sport like that, rugby league. And and rugby league and rugby union are very similar, there's probably more injuries in rugby union. But it's it's I think the decision makers at World Rugby and throughout rugby need to think very, very carefully about how those changes are implemented. Because it's obvious, isn't it? From what's happened, take HIA, which is on everybody's forefront of player welfare. Over the last eight years, it's changed massively. From a physio coming on saying, how many fingers I've got? <laughs> yeah. And what's the day, what's the day of birth? So now that being taken out of everybody's hands, with your independent guy watching, da, 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 da. It, of course, rugby is a contact sport. And maybe my stats aren't as accurate as they should be, but I think more concussions are coming from the tackler. Yes. Not the tackled. So by lowering the tackle height, we think is right, and I'd agree with it, to below the shoulder. But the old hit points is the hardest bit of your body. Yeah, they're no fun. That, they're, what, they're what knock you people over. So I, I don't know where we go with it. And, and for everybody who promotes player welfare, well, you know, nobody does it more so than this environment we've created here. And, 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 and part of our reasoning for not doing that sort of contact in the week is taking the risk element out of it. Expose them on a Saturday for 80 minutes. They're prepared and you've got to keep your fingers, fingers crossed because you need a bit of luck in everything you do. What about the financial situation that rugby finds itself in? Because it always, you know, there's always a lot of talk about, well, you know, we're on the precipice of something disastrous. Yeah, it, everything kind of just ticks along. Well, I, I think it's, I think the, the broadcasting people, BT, is, it, it is at the minute with the international game, the sponsors that are about. I think it, it, it bodes well, and and the owners of the Premiership clubs, which I can only speak uh, about, have done a brilliant job the last twenty years. Of, Funding it, and you know the the new potential deal that's coming up with uh, CBC uh, only adds to the fact that you know I'm pretty sure there were seven or other seven or eight other businesses like CBC who really? wanted to uh, to get involved. So it, it, it's not a, a one-off punt. There are businesses around the world who see rugby union going becoming one of the next global sports, even more global than it is. I think there's hundred teams in the world now, but. Um, you know, I think it's a, uh, a great opportunity to be involved. And I know Jed and Simon who are involved here. Um, uh, the more they've got involved, the more they like it. And you know, their financial commitment is, is significant. But um, with Quato, myself, and Paul Smith here, we need to get it break even. This business, not just because there's money coming in from CBC, we just don't want to use that as a cash cow. Yeah, and you've, you know, previous years you've been very, very close to that break-even point. I mean, one of the better clubs in the Premiership, actually. Yeah, and, 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 and our philosophy with Jed and Simon is to, was even if the CBC deal doesn't come off, was to get a salary cap in year three mm. and have a crack at it. And we'll see where we are in three or four years' time because what we've got to do, if we can put a highly competitive side together, um, if the stadium infrastructure can handle it, we'll... 
if we can get crowds of nine to 10,000 on a regular basis, we become a profitable business. And all that profit will be put back into the community and put back into the game. And you know, these Jen and Sam are a, a successful businessman. They're not in rubber to make money. They're in to future-proof the sport in the Northwest. And, you know, we, we, we're effectively trying to become like one of the Irish provinces. We've got a massive region. Why can't we suck all of that talent our way? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Jed and Simon because uh, things have progressed rapidly. Just give me a little bit about where you see sale in the next two, three years. And one more question because we'll, we will wrap this up so you, you can finish off uh, with this question at the end. If you were to win the Premiership after two or three years, if that's where you get to, what motorbike would you buy? Ah. Um, a Ducati 999 is the answer <laughs> to that. And it, I don't know whether they do a blue one, but... Um, yeah, Ducati 999. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> where will sale be in three years' oh, time? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think if our recruitment drive goes as well as it is going and our academy churns out the red paths and coal like they are doing, then I'd be pretty pretty miffed if we're not a top four contender. I can't say we can win it because there are sides up there, ex have been there for five, six years mm. and Saris have been there for ten years and there's a few others who've, who've, who, who, who Leicester have had a little bit of a, a, a demise but you know we can't write them off. I, I just think we've got to be in the top four and, and Europe's great and fantastic but the, 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 the bread and butter is the top four and once you're in the top four at the end of the season anyone can win it you know I think Wasps did it for three four years where they finished fourth and managed to win it and I think that, that that's the excitement it's two competitions in one so yeah that's where I think we could go I'd be foolish to think that I'm foolish with Simon and Jed's investment if I thought we couldn't do that because they're not here to uh, bugger around they're here to be successful well, let's wait and see if you're riding that Ducati to see, uh, see, see, see if it comes true. Steve Diamond, thank you very much. Thanks, man. Cheers, man. Uh,